everyone for being here. We've got several visitors in the audience, and maybe it's your first time. We really appreciate you being here, and you're welcome back anytime. Maybe you're a regular visitor. Uh, again, we're just as glad that you're here. And if you're members, we're just as glad that you're here as well. Uh, so thanks for being here. But a couple of housekeeping notes before we get going is that you'll find out there on, on the four-year table, those of you interested in teaching the young children's classes, uh, information is more out there, and uh, I would, again, like you to fill that out. I've got one so far, thank you, Crystal, uh, for filling that out and getting that back to me. So even if you teach already, it would be helpful if you go ahead and fill one of those out. Secondly, after the service this morning, we'll go downstairs very quickly. The men will, and if you take leadership in the worship, you read scripture, or you lead songs, or you're at the table, even if you're already doing it, Eddie would like to update that information as well. And so downstairs there will be a sheet, and we'll go through and we'll mark that up. So immediately after the services, quick, I don't think there's any discussion about that, uh, but that's what that worship leadership form is all about. So it gets me to this morning where we want to begin. I get asked a lot of questions, and Michael gets asked a lot of questions. But some questions get asked more frequently than others. And one of the most frequent questions that I am asked is, do I need to be rebaptized? And that comes from a lot of different people in a lot of different circumstances. But the question is usually from a sincere heart, or they have heard something that's a little different than what before, and say, do I need to do this? And I always have to say, well, what do you mean you need to be rebaptized? If we mean you need to be baptized again, then no. Because as Everton just read there in Ephesians chapter 4, remember what it said there? There's all this one Lord, there's this one God, one Father. There is one baptism. If I have that one baptism, I don't need to be, quote, rebaptized. But what if I don't have that one baptism? Then maybe I do need to be, quote, rebaptized. Meaning I need to be baptized as the way the scriptures would say, the one, the only baptism. So I want to talk about this morning. And what I want to do, I want to really look at three things about that that I think have to match. I think they have to go together. And this morning we're going to talk about the motive that I have for being baptized. Why is it that I was baptized? Secondly, what was the purpose of my baptism? Not why did I do it, but what did I believe was happening when I was baptized, the purpose of being baptized, and thirdly, the method of being baptized, because that is not the same everywhere either. And so we'll look again at the motive, we will look at the purpose, or if you want to use an M word, the meaning, and if you want to look at the method. You got where we're going. All right, so let's think about the motive for a second. One of the motives is you're a spiritually minded person. And you've been reading through the scriptures. And maybe you've had a, a rough time in your life. And you've come up and you've said, man, I don't have any answers. Let me turn to God and let me see what I need to do. I need to know what I should do 
to be right with God, to be pleasing to God. And so I turn to God and I say, what, what do you want me to do? And we have plenty of examples in the Bible of people who wanted to know what they as an individual should do. Consider in Acts chapter 2, as the very first time that we have the apostles commanding baptism, that the sermon has been preached about this guy from Nazareth, this Jesus, who they knew, who had been attested to them by all these miracles. And the Scripture said, and pointed out over and over, that there was going to be one who was going to come. And so the conclusion in verse 36 is that this Jesus that you crucified, God has made Him both Lord and Christ. Audience recognizes we killed the one we've been looking for. We killed the King, the Lord. And they said in verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You see how that was an individual decision. They were cut to the heart. What do I need to do? What do we need to do? Like, how do we make this right? And the answer in verse 38 is, Repent and be baptized every one of you. Not some of you, but every one of you need to repent and be baptized. They wanted to know what to do. Or you go a little further over and you go to Acts the 8th chapter. And you have the story of this eunuch from Ethiopia who has been to Jerusalem to worship. And he's going back to Ethiopia and he's going through the desert. And he's reading from Isaiah the 53rd chapter, but he doesn't understand what he's reading. And so the Spirit of the Lord sends a prophet to him, sends Philip, the evangelist, to him. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I, unless someone guide me? And so from that scripture, he began to preach Jesus to him. And as they're going along here in the desert, I want you to get down to verse 36. So as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? See, he knew about baptism, and they finally find some water, and he says, "Uh, Philip, here's some water. Why can't I go be baptized in that water? And the answer is, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And so guess what he did there, verse 39, or verse 38? He, that is the eunuch, he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and they baptized him. And he came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away. Why can't I be baptized, was the question. Not should I, why can't I be baptized? What hinders me? Or in Acts the 16th chapter, you have the jailer in the city of Philippi. And Paul and Silas had been beaten, and they refused to let that dampen their spirits. They have been singing and they have been praying in the inner prison until midnight. And finally, an earthquake happens. And the jail is loosened and all the bars and the prisoners can go free. And the prisoners don't go. They don't run away. They stay in their cells and I don't know, I think if I'd have been in that cell as a prisoner and the door is open, 
I'm running to get out of there. But Paul shouted out, don't worry, we're all here. And so you have the jailer responding. And I want you to see in verse 29. The jailer called for lights as he was about to kill himself. Paul says, don't do that, don't harm yourself. In 29, the jailer called for the lights and he rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Like, they want to know. Like, okay, you guys are singing about all this salvation. You're probably, like, what is required of me? And he tells them, just believe. And so that very hour, verse 33, he took him the same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So go back to yourself. Were you doing it for you? Because you wanted to know what you were supposed to do or what I was supposed to do. That's part of what we see in the Scripture. second thing I want to point out about this is that the motive is that I believe the Scriptures. That this is what I was supposed to do. That this is what was required of me. Sirs, what must I do? Here's what, here's what, what hinders me. And so you would notice that in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Remember... Men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized. And so it tells us plainly in verse 41 that all those who received his word were baptized. They received it. They took it in gladly. They accepted his word. Or as point blank in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, when the gospel is going to this place of Samaria, and Samaria was a place that would have been a mixed race that the Jews looked down on. And they go and Philip is preaching in Samaria. And he's doing miracles. Or Simon is doing miracles in all these places. Philip is doing miracles in these places. And the people are listening to him preach the gospel about Jesus. And they're amazed at his miracles. And I want you to notice what it said there in verse 5, verse 12 of Acts the 8th chapter. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they believed in the kingdom, they believed in Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, continued with Philip. You see, you see what was happening there. They not only heard what they were supposed to do and wanted to know what to do, when they heard it, they believed that that's what they were supposed to do, and that's what they did. And I say, well, did you believe that that was what you were supposed to do? Or did it come from pressure? Pressure from parents saying, you need to be baptized. It's time for you to be baptized. You're getting on up there. You're like 12 years old now. You need to be baptized. If you don't get baptized, you're not going to go to heaven. And parents pressure their children. And let's remember back to when we were children. We usually answered to the pressure of our parents, didn't we? We feel that. And parents are very tough. Or maybe it's not pressure from the parents. Maybe it's pressure from the friends. Maybe you were lucky enough to grow up in a church where you had other people your age. 
And they were being baptized. And they kept saying to you, now it's your turn. You're the only one that's left. It's time for you to be baptized. And we understand peer pressure, don't we? And we do stupid stuff due to peer pressure. Much less something else that we know is something that we should do. But we're just not sure that I'm ready to do it yet. But everybody else is telling me, it's your turn. You better get on it. Or maybe it comes even as full-blown adults. When your significant other tells you, I can't date you. I can't marry you. I can't do nothing with you until you're baptized. And so guess what? I love that person. I'm going to go get dunked in the water. You see, there are different motives for why people do what they do. And you might find yourself in one of those spots, or you might not find yourself. Maybe you found yourself as, man, I just want to know what to do. I, I was young. I was 10. But I imagine that most of us in our life, we come to question whether or not our baptism was correct, especially if we've not lived like a Christian the entire time. So take myself, for instance. Baptized at a very young age, 10 years old. I've questioned this many times, and I, I still remember back to the day some of the things that were going through my head. There was, there was very little doubt in my mind. But I had to really work through that after college, after living debauchery for four plus years, of saying, did I really do what I was supposed to? Did I really know what I was getting into? Because I didn't fully understand what I was doing at that age. And I would ask the question this way, does anyone ever fully understand the seriousness and the commitment to which they are signing up for? I ask that in this way. You know when you say at the altar, till death do us part. And you know that difficulties are going to come along the way. But does that make it any easier when those difficulties come to maintain that commitment. I didn't know it was going to require me to do this for my spouse. I think there's no way of knowing everything. And I wonder if it's the same way with baptism. I know that I'm committing my life to Christ and I want to serve Christ. But I don't know if there's any way that I can fully know everything that is going to be required of me in my life. I think that's where faith comes in. We don't walk by, we walk by faith, not by sight. If I knew every little thing that was going to come along in my life, yeah, it would be easy to make a commitment. But the truth is, we're all going to come to the point saying, man, I didn't know it was going to take this. But then you go back to that vow that you made. I said I was going to serve you. I said I was going to stay with you till death do us part, and that's what I'm going to do. Even though I didn't fully understand it back when I said it. You still do it. Or maybe you didn't understand the degree of difficulty. And that kind of goes along with it. It's going to be hard. Jesus said that, right? It's going to be hard. But I didn't know how hard it's going to be. I didn't sign up for it to be this difficult. And so I'm taking the easy road. I'm checking out. And so we ask ourselves the question, well... Did I have the right motive when I was baptized? And only an individual can answer that. And by the way, I should have said this at the very beginning. 
I imagine that this sermon is going to pose questions in the audience. So you're going to have questions about that. Feel free to talk to myself or to Michael or to somebody about these things. We'll be happy to sit down and study and talk with them with you. Because you've got to make the decision about that. Was that what it was? So let's say for all practical intents and purposes, you had the motive correct. Well, here gets us to our second point. What was the purpose of your baptism? What was the meaning behind your baptism? Well, if you go to Matthew, the 28th chapter... Virtually every church out there believes that baptism is commanded by Jesus. They believe that it is to be done. And here's one of the reasons, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Jesus says to his apostles, All authority has been given in heaven and on earth to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, you make disciples by baptizing them. That's how you do it. And virtually, as I said, every church out there agrees. And they also use John the third chapter when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I tell you, unless he is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So everyone is going to agree that baptism is something Christians should do. So I'll turn you to a popular church that is a fundamental independent Baptist church. And I like how on their website they tell you what it means to be fundamental, meaning we go back to the Bible. Independent, we don't answer to any creed or any hierarchy or any headquarters. And we're Baptists, so as you can see, they practice immersion. For most of us in the audience, we'd be like, yep, that sounds like East Orange. We go back to the Bible, we don't answer to any hierarchy or any headquarters, and we baptize people. All right, here's what their website says. Baptism is commanded by God. It is everywhere assumed in the New Testament that a true convert to Christ will be willing to be baptized. Baptism is a command, emphasis theirs, the first step of obedience for the babe in Christ. This is not to say that baptism is an essential part of salvation. God justifies. He declares righteous. The sinner who puts faith in Christ as his atoning Savior, apart from works, even good works, like baptism. And baptism does not cause God to justify a man. The Bible says that we are justified freely. That is, with grace, without a cause by his grace. And so here it is. The waters of baptism can never wash away sin. Only the blood of Christ can do that. Baptism is our vital to assurance, is, a vital, is vital to our assurance, however, and together with the blood and the Spirit constitutes threefold witness on earth, baptism is not optional for the Christian. You say, why would you read all of that? 
Because they believe you baptized because I am saved. You got that? It was the first act of obedience for the babe in Christ. Somebody who already belongs to Christ. Someone who is already a part of the body of Christ. That is the first thing that they need to do being in Christ is to be baptized. It's not optional. You don't get to say, I'm not going to be baptized. You have to be baptized. But the reason you're baptized is because I'm already saved. And so what it does is it identifies me with Christ. I want you to look at a couple of passages that they use in Romans the 6th chapter. And we use these passages too, by the way. 100%. And by the way, I'm not answering the arguments this morning for these various things. I'm just saying these are out there. These are different baptisms that are out there. And so in Romans the 6th chapter where you and I would talk about how you go, you're buried in water and you come up a new person, a new life. Notice verse 5. We believe if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Like this is where we unite ourselves to Christ. This is where we join ourselves to Christ. And I would agree with that. But they're saying, I'm already saved. I'm already a part of that. Or verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him. And this whole identity and this whole unity with Him. Or as Galatians chapter 3 would say, as many of you, in verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And I would again say to that, that's exactly right. Baptism is where we are united with Christ. Baptism is where we get the identity of no longer being me, but belonging to Christ through getting His name to be called a Christian. But notice what they're saying. They do that after you're already in Christ. Now, you can just look very carefully in Galatians chapter 3. As many of you as were baptized into Christ. That's the way you get into Christ, is you are baptized into Christ, not you believe into Christ. Belief is absolutely important. We are saved by grace, absolutely, Ephesians 2 verse 8. But it requires baptism. And so that is what this young gentleman would say on Jesus.org. And I'll just, again, make sure that I point out how important is your baptism. It is your personal identification with the greatest act of human history, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't save you. Salvation comes by faith alone. And that gets us to why other people are baptized. They're baptized to be saved. Consider Acts 2, verse 38. As we read earlier, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness or the remission of your sins. I'm being baptized to be forgiven, or as Acts 
chapter 2, or Acts chapter 22. When the Apostle Paul, before he is ever an Apostle, at his conversion, when he hears the truth and the Gospel about Jesus, in verse 14, he's told by Saul, the God of our fathers appointed you to know His will and to see the righteous one. In verse 15, you'll be a witness for Him to everyone who's seen and heard. But here's verse 16. Now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, and here it is, and wash away your sins, calling on His name. You understand why Paul was being baptized. Why those in the day of Pentecost were being baptized. It was to wash away the sin. It was not because the sin had already been washed away. It was to wash the sins away. And so 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, the most obvious of any that again can be explained around, but 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, that would be water in the previous verse, baptism now saves you. But as our Brothers, quote, in Christ, have said baptism is not essential to salvation. Baptism doesn't save you. You're already saved before you're baptized. And so here's where another difference comes in. You ready for this one? You're baptized to be saved from your sins. But whose sins are you being saved from? I've got in my hand here the Baltimore Catechism from 2009. And this is what the Catechism says on page 151. At its first birth, how is this symbolized in the baptism by immersion? At its first birth, a child has sin on its soul. Going under the water in baptism, the child dies to sin and is buried with Christ. Coming up out of the water symbolizes rising with Christ to the new life of grace. Did you understand any of all that? That's okay. Let me make it a little clearer. Question 315 says, what is baptism? Baptism is the sacrament that gives our souls the new life of sanctifying grace by which we become children of God and heirs of heaven. I would agree with that. Question 316. What sins does baptism take away? Baptism takes away original sin and also actual sin and all the punishment due to them. If the person baptized be guilty of any actual sins and truly sorry for them. So let's back up and say, well, what did the catechism just tell me? The catechism just told me that when I am being pressured by my parents as an infant to be immersed under water, I am being immersed under water for someone else's sin, for Adam's sin. And if I've actually committed any sin, and I'm really sorry for that, I will be forgiven of that sin as well. Saying I come, I come to the Catholic Church later. That's not what we see in Scripture. We see, as we pointed out earlier, both men and women in Acts chapter 8 and verse 13. We see that it is a choice of I believe. Romans 9, if you believe in your heart and you confess with the tongue, you will be saved. You can't do that 
as a little child, as a little infant, being immersed underwater. And the point would be, just because someone says, I was baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, doesn't mean that it matched previously to the motive, because there may have been no personal motive for before, it may have been for someone else's sin. And that gets me to the third and the final point that we want to talk about very briefly, is that what was the method of my baptism? Method meaning one of the three things, this is the three common. Immersed, meaning to be put completely, head, feet, arms, toes, knees, completely under the water, submerged. Or these fancy terms that I didn't even know, aspersion, which means sprinkled, where you take some water and you sprinkle it. Maybe you sprinkle once, or maybe you sprinkle three times in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. You can do that. Or you pour it. You take a little more water than the sprinkling and you pour it on the head. You say, well, are those all the same? You would obviously say that being immersed is not the same as sprinkled. And that sprinkled is not the same as being poured on. They are different. They are not the same. So which one is it supposed to be? Well, it would be really sweet if there was a verse in the Bible that was as plain as 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. It says, baptism now saves you. In regard to immersion now saves you. Right? Well, it kind of does. Because when we look up what the word means there, baptism or baptize, it literally means to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge. Like if a ship was sank. We would say the Titanic submerged on whatever day. The Titanic was baptized on whatever day it sunk to the bottom of the ocean. That's why they would use that language. And I want you to think about this picture for just one second. No one argues that in the first century with the apostles that they submerged, they immersed people in water. There is not a theologian out there, one, who will tell you that's not what the apostles did. But what they'll say is over time, not very long, maybe 50-something years, they started pouring. And then they started sprinkling. But no one will tell you that the apostles did it any other way than submersion. And so there aren't any clear-cut verses that say, By the way, baptism is being completely covered in water. But there are inferences throughout. In John chapter 3 and verse 23, John the Baptist, John the Immerser, was in this city called Aninon near Salem because there was much water there. Or in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16, when Jesus is baptized by John, It says, and when Jesus came up out of the water, he had been in the water. Now, as we argued this morning in class, you could go into the water and still have the water poured on you. But that's not the natural way you would read that. You would read like he got in the pool and he came out of the pool. That's the way we would picture that. Or Acts 8.38 with the eunuch, as we saw, both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water 
Or that picture of burial in Romans 6 and verse 4 where we identify with Christ. Don't you know we buried that old man? That when we bury someone, we put them six feet under. And then that just seems to be the picture, the imagery behind it. And so, as my catechism says one more time, I'll point it out in the parenthetical statement back on page 151. Remember, the baby was immersed. Here's what it says at the bottom of that picture. This is also symbolized, though not so expressly, when the water is only poured on the person being baptized. They admit that the picture is to be fully immersed, and that's the way they describe it. So we get to question 319 on page 153, and I'll close out with this. How would you give baptism? I often ask that to people that, that we're talking about this with. What would you do to baptize someone? If someone came to you and said they need to be baptized, what would you do? And here's what the answer is. I would give baptism by pouring ordinary water on the forehead of the person to be baptized, saying, while pouring it, I baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. What they're saying is it's okay any way that you choose. We believe the picture is immersion, and that's what they did before. But it's also okay if you just pour or you just sprinkle. I believe what happens is you are immersed in the water because I make the decision. I believe. And no one else is making me to do it. And I believe that my sins will be forgiven. But the question we always end with is are you sure that what you did is what God wants you to do? Michael's the one that pointed out this first thing we were talking about it several months ago. Statement there in Second Peter chapter one verse ten: Make your calling and your election sure. Are you sure that you're right? That's the question that each of us has to ask ourselves. And if you're not sure, or you realize mine's not the same, maybe I do need to be quote rebaptized, or maybe I've already been baptized, and my sins are forgiven, and I am at peace with God. If you're subject in any way this morning, won't you come now as we stand and have a